0: You know, because what I don't want somebody to say is, oh, well, see, I'm not like Bill. See, he did it because he was a pilot, because he was this, because he was that. So therefore, I can't do it because I'm not like him. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you can. And, and I don't want people to think that they have to have certain criteria or they have to have been in business. They have to have this. And if they don't have those things, they're going to be a failure. Not
1: true. Just get started. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Bill Ham, and today we're talking about scaling a real estate portfolio faster than darn near anybody else out there is doing it. And that's what Bill did with his portfolio. He started with a duplex, left his job, and then started doing it bigger and bigger and bigger deals. And today we're learning about what separates the folks like him who succeeded in doing that from the folks who want to scale their portfolio and don't manage to do so. And we want to delineate, we want to make sure we're clear that there's nothing wrong with doing single families, duplexes. If that fits your investing goals and criteria, and that's what you want to do, great. Keep doing that. If you're somebody who wants to scale your portfolio and grow and do large multi-hundred unit deals, you need to learn these lessons so that you can scale effectively. And Bill did just that. He's gonna teach us about what separates investors like him who succeeded in it from those who either ne- never get off the ground or kind of peter out, don't make it happen. So, so much in here, great lessons for Bill. And we also talk about analyzing markets, so many great things. So you're gonna learn a lot today. I know there's a there's a lot of great content in here. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I I help busy professionals passively invest in commercial real estate. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Once again, that's investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. And I really mean that. I really do appreciate it because that helps us grow in the Apple podcast ecosystem. That helps other people learn about the show. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. I really mean I do appreciate it, right? I see all of them. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for doing that. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, do look us up hit the subscribe button. That way you'll catch every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest is Bill Ham. We're talking about scaling a real estate portfolio, what it takes, and so much more. You're gonna learn a lot. Without any further ado, here we go. Bill, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. It's been great talking with you so far. You have a very impressive resume and, and the things that you do. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do these days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. These days, easy answer. i uh, multifamily owner-operator. I um, syndicate. <clears throat> I've been in the real estate business for 16 years now. I uh, started in 2005. I was a corporate pilot by trade and closed my very first duplex uh, and then said, I'm smarter than the average bear. And I turned in my two-week notice, walked away from, real, from aviation full-time with a duplex, Learned out I wasn't uh, as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> Figured that out the hard way, <clears throat> and uh, but I stuck with it. Stuck with business. Stuck with the real estate. Uh, flipped houses. Got started flipping, and then slowly started creating a buy and hold portfolio. That started off with single family residence, and then small multifamily, and then slowly over the years, uh, the multifamily got larger and larger. So it went from a duplex houses to like a nine unit, and then a twenty, and then a twenty seven, and then a forty four, and so forth and so on. So I got up into larger properties, and now I uh, syndicate, own, and operate large apartment complexes. So that's uh, that's what I do for a living, as well as teach. I, uh, I do teach on the side. So I have
1: students, and um, I enjoy teaching as well. So that is a bold move, leaving a, a really, <laughs> it's a good career, right? You make good money, you have good yeah. uh, job security, and with a duplex. A job, yeah. Just, to, just yeah, was, to take off. That's wild.
0: I was 28 years old, you know? And I thought, all right, if not now, when? right? No, I'm 45 now. So it's like, no, no kids at a time, no wife at a time, you know, no real debt at the time. I was like, all right, why not? You know, and uh, I'd saved up $10,000 a month. Uh, and that was, excuse me, I had saved up $10,000. The duplex was cash flowing 300 bucks a month. And, and that's what I decided to go ahead and, and go into real estate in with. And by the time I'd spent the 10 grand, I had you know, figured out how to replace it, flip some properties, and uh, and just got it going and just figured it out. You know, I I, I don't recommend people listening to, to rush out and quit your job over a duplex. <laughs> it was the right move for me, but I, probably not the right move for the average individual. But it certainly elicited focus on my part. Let's just put it that way. I was very focused after uh, quitting the job. And that's why I did that, was, was to, you know, commit myself to a goal and to a path that I knew I would ultimately be successful with. But It was it was scary. Not gonna lie, you know. I I I probably wouldn't do it again. Being a little bit older Uh, now, I I might stay at the day job uh, a little longer, Uh, close a few deals before I quit the job. But
1: yep, what I did definitely a a bold move, and you know, maybe that burn the ships type of mentality is is what helped you scale. But I I did want to dig into that because most people. Who start with that, you know, one duplex don't well one don't quit their job based on that duplex, but then also don't scale to larger multifamily. and that's not. I don't want to make that sound like it's a value judgment, like that's a good or bad thing, but a lot of folks who would like to scale don't, and I'd like to dig into you know what those differences are and, and what enabled you to uh, do that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely right. So, first off, and I I like your comment, you know, don't think that you have to go big. Don't think that just because some of us do apartment complexes, you need to go do that. You don't. Money's money. Real estate's real estate. If if you're in houses, if you're flipping, you're doing single family, you're doing that stuff, you're happy, you're making money. Stay right there. You know, I I have people come to me all the time and they say, Oh, I'm flipping houses and making a million dollars a year, and, and I think I need to buy apartments why (laughs) (laughs) the grass is not necessarily greener you're making plenty of money you you understand houses you're doing it. like why quit i don't understand that so please don't feel that, that you know just because someone else is doing something or you watch some guru or some late night commercial that sounded great about some kind of genre in investing if it's something you're called to do do it you'll probably be successful if it's not something that you're really called to do then, then stay doing what you're doing. There's lots of ways to get excitement in our lives. And I think sometimes people try and gain too much personal excitement out of this. And And, you know, it's a job, it's a business. It's like anything else. And you need to be good at it. You need to be confident at it you know, and and that's it. And so I always kind of tell people, follow your competency, not your passion. I don't really like the advice of follow your passion and you'll be successful. I think it's a horrible advice, personally. (laughs) Uh, I, I say, you know, there's lots of things in life to be passionate about. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that we also make money at. If you can be passionate and successful, great, good for you. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying start with competency first. And if you're good and competent at something, that you'll, you'll love it later on. Trust me. You start cashing paychecks, you'll love it later on. <laughs> Passion comes with the checks, right? But uh, So I would say I think the reason that some people don't scale up is it may be a function of not understanding business. And that's something that I really try and teach a lot of my students is that real estate is just a product. It, it's like anything else. It can be widgets or anything. You know, it doesn't matter. If you don't understand business, the product is irrelevant. And so you might need to spend a little more time studying business and how to run more of a business if you feel like you're not scaling up to the next level. That could be one issue. Another area that I see where it stops people from scaling up is that it takes partners. It's very difficult business to go at it alone. You know, you can, you can do duplexes and houses for a while and eventually you'll do four units, and eventually eight, and 20 years later, you'll have a little pile of real estate. And that's great. But if you really want to scale up and, and, and grow and get into multifamily and become a true business, you're going to have partners. You're going to have investors and you're going to have people that you have to answer to. In a lot of cases, uh, I, I think people shy away from that you know, and that may be why they don't scale up because it is, it is work. It is a business. It's, it's, you know, it, it is.
1: Yeah. That, that makes sense. But I, I will, I would like to dig into, you know, a, a deeper meaning behind that. And and folks might think, and and I know, I think I, I was in this position years ago of, Okay, I need to run it like a business, but really knowing what that means that in the sense of folks might think, hey, I've worked in the in the corporate world, I understand how business works. And that does give you some understanding, but those skills to to succeed in the corporate world are not the same, in my estimation, as the skills it takes it takes to, you know, build a new business from scratch. Would you agree? Would you disagree? And if either totally. way, how?
0: Yeah, totally agree. And, and I think that is probably a, a big misconception people have is they say, well, I've been around business. I've worked in business. Therefore, I know business. And, and that may be a true ism. But, you know, let me tell you, it, it gets real, real the second you sign the line that is dotted, you know, the second your name is on that board, the second your name is at the bottom of someone else's paycheck. That gets real. And that's not something you can learn in school, in a book by having a job. It's just not. It's something you're going to have to go out and experience. You're going to have to go out and be a leader. You're going to have to go out and run a company. And when there is no boss, when everybody's looking at you, you're the tip of the spear. You've got to figure it out. The cavalry is not coming. You know That's where it becomes very different from having experience with business and owning a business. A very big different things. And so yeah, I would say that, it's probably a misconception, but then I would also circle back and add around, yes, yeah, so what? Go figure it out anyway. So even if you've been in business, hey, at least you've been in business it's better than than not ever even being in business, so don't don't let that be a limiting mindset and uh, and stop you from from going out. So I would say, you know, look, a lot of this is practice. You're gonna just have to go out and practice. Are you gonna get it all right all the time? Of course not. And and you can follow my sort of philosophy. If you screw up one, buy two. If you screw up two, buy ten. You'll get it right eventually. (laughs) Just don't quit. Right? It's like you're going to mess up a few. You're going to. Don't worry about it. Write those off. Keep going. Just cost average the mistake. You know, it's like if you mess up one or you mess up two or you have a few problems and you stop. That's when those problems just settle in and really dig in. You know, but if you screw up one property. Don't worry about it. Go buy two more properties. You'll figure that one out. You know, you script those two. Don't worry about it. Just keep buying. It takes practice. You'll get it right eventually. I know that kind of sounds a little bit flippant, you know, and like I'm I'm being loose with money or real estate, and I'm not. But you can't take yourself too seriously, or you'll get it all wrong.
1: That's a good point. You, Or you won't even try in the first place. Or you won't even try. I think probably one of my my favorite thing that you mentioned in there is is don't let that be a limiting mindset. Don't let that hold you back. I love that because. Uh, you know, newer investors might tend to think I'm starting from nothing. I don't have any real estate. How do I scale up? But what you don't know is guys like Bill started with no real estate, started with a duplex and then scaled from there. Just like some of our listeners out there right now.
0: Exactly. What I'm always trying to do is to honestly, is to take the excuses away from the average person. You know, because what I don't want somebody to say is, oh, well, see, I'm not like Bill. See, he did it because he was a pilot, because he was this, because he was that. So therefore, I can't do it because I'm not like him. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you can. And, and I don't want people to think that they have to have certain criteria, or they have to have been in business. They have to have this. And if they don't have those things, they're going to be a failure. Not true. Just get started, just figure it out, and get into practicing. You'll figure it out, you know, yes, you're gonna make some mistakes, but it, you know you'll you'll figure that part out too, and so that's that's kind of where I see people uh getting in trouble more often than not is is looking at successful people and saying, "I'm not like them, therefore I can't do it." That's probably the worst mindset you can have is to think that we're not normal people. I started off with a duplex, and by the way, it was in a war zone neighborhood <laughs> i mean bad neighborhood crime everywhere everybody's just, you know what I mean? It's like it's everybody's got a place that they have to start. Everybody's got some strengths and some weaknesses. Don't worry about keeping up with anybody else. Just pay
1: attention to your own
0: strengths and your own weaknesses, and outsource for that. Take care of that, and you'll be fine. Don't worry about anybody else.
1: So I love that. So we we talked about you know learning how to run a business, build a business is important, and we don't all start with those skills, but we can learn them and have that mentality. A few other things that you mentioned a bit earlier on included partners and investors. And I'd like to understand, especially from your personal experience, how those factored into that scaling from two units uh, upward into bigger properties. Right. Well, my first
0: 402 units, I actually completed with no traditional lending. So I actually got the first 402 units Using some kind of creative financing, seller financing, lease options, you know, all kind of crazy stuff. Uh, credit cards don't don't do that, <laughs> and uh, it, you know, all of that uh, that stuff to get in the business. So when I first started to do larger complexes, my first real partnership was 152 unit deal. Uh, so I, I couldn't scale up to that next level as far as net worth was concerned, and that was my first issue. I had the experience because I had done a collection of smaller properties. So the lender wasn't saying you don't have experience. The lender said you don't have the net worth you know, for this loan. And so that's where I had to go out and, and find a partner uh, to bring on that balance sheet that allowed me to satisfy the loan requirements. Uh, so that partner and I were now able to qualify for the loan. And we needed uh, about a million bucks down payment. If I remember, it's 10 years ago now, million, million one, something like that. So the partner and I went out and we got that invested, that money invested from limited partners. So we created a a full syndication of security. We had general partners and limited partners. Again, I were the general partners. Uh, we controlled the deal. We got the mortgage. And then our limited partners uh, were the ones that put up the down payment money. Nice. So, that, so that was one of my first uh, partnerships. And, and true syndications.
1: Nice. And so you mentioned having bringing this person on board and, and it's at that point you had had a pretty solid resume behind you. but you know in, in getting somebody to basically put their their net worth on the line on a loan, I'm sure you had to you know give something up, give something to them you know in return. What did that all look like to put it together?
0: Yeah, and and this is something I teach all of my students in length, and it's very specific to each deal. So you you can't kind of listen to this and say, oh, well, this is the way I'll set up deals. It's very specific to every different deal, specific on the returns. You know, sort of the the better the cash flow, the higher returns, usually the more equity that we get to keep as general partners. That's a rough explanation. That particular deal, uh, let's see, we split it... 70-30 with our investors. So the general partner and I kept 30% of the deal. We gave uh, 70% to our investors. And um, he and I actually split that 50-50. So I found the deal. I was kind of the boots on the ground. I was the one that uh, brought it together. Uh, I was also, my company managed it. So I I was kind of the one that that made all of the gears turn around he brought in the ability to close, and we both went out and collectively raised money for it. So that, that's how we did that deal. And as a matter of fact, we just sold it about three weeks ago. Uh, owned that property for almost a decade. Wow. Right? And just sold it. Did very well. Uh, you know, paid all of our <clears throat> excuse me, paid all of our investors. Uh, everybody got a great return. Everybody was super happy with that one. So uh, I wish I had more to sell. That's all I can say, <laughs> I wish I had more to sell. I wish i had have bought more back ten years ago.
1: Uh, well, uh, you and me both. So. That's interesting that you held on to it for so long, right? Because we've had such such a run. I mean, 10 years ago, especially in commercial multifamily, things have changed so much. I mean, I'm sure that was a, a home run deal. Why didn't you sell it, you know, five years ago even? Well, um, you know, well, with several comments. One, we had
0: a long-term debt. So Fannie Mae mm-hmm. long-term 10-year mortgage. So in there, uh, there was defeasance or a prepayment penalty. So that really affected our exit strategy. We didn't want to sell when the loan was still in its infancy or younger because we would have spent a lot of our profit uh, just giving it to the bank to get out a loan. So we were not motivated to sell in any regard in that manner, first comment. Second comment, we were cash flowing nicely. So again, no need to sell. Third comment, time in the market. We're just waiting until the market got much, much higher and in really even... At that point in time, we never listed the property. We never intended to sell. We just had somebody knock on our door and offer us an offer we just couldn't refuse. (laughs) So we sold because we made a lot of money. I mean, let's be clear. That's the answer. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I always tell everybody, you are not going to make money in real estate if you need to sell. So you always want to keep yourself in a position where you don't need to sell. That has everything to do with how you buy it cash flow, your debt, market cycle, lots of different things. And if you can purchase these deals correctly and keep your business running correctly, then you're always in a position where you're not forced to sell. If you're forced to sell, you become a motivated seller. And we all know we're trying to buy from motivated sellers, not become motivated sellers. So uh, we were never a motivated seller. And because of that right there, we we got top profit on that Taylor
1: project. Nice. I like that. And and for our listeners out there who don't know what uh, defeasance means, don't worry about it. Most people don't. It's related to commercial real estate financing. There's defeasance and yield maintenance. I would recommend just Googling those. We have previous yeah. episodes where we go really in depth. It's it's complicated, but it's a part of commercial real estate lending that can make you want to hang on to a deal because you might have to give some money back to the bank, even though beyond what your remaining loan balance is?
0: Yeah, prepayment penalty. That's all that is.
1: All those are fancy ways of just saying, hey, if you pay
0: the loan off early, you're going to have to pay the bank an extra fee. Real straightforward. And then now, beyond that, yes, it gets very complicated between yield maintenance and the fees and It's just a prepayment penalty. So leave it at that. Uh, if we would have paid the loan off early, we would have given the bank a lot of our profit
1: we just didn't want to. There you go. There you go. So you have two real estate related books uh, that, that you published. One actually just came out very recently. And I, I, we, we, we can't cover all of it right now. We only have a few minutes remaining in our time. But one of the topics that you cover in your newest book, Real Estate Raw, is how to choose a real estate market. And that is, I think, one of the biggest questions that new investors have, particularly if they're in an expensive area where they know they're not going to invest like LA or New York City or Northern Virginia for the state that I live in, can you give us a, a rundown? Again, that's a huge topic to get into. Sure. I want to at least scrape the surface on what folks can yeah. look at if they're picking a market.
0: Yeah. So so for clarity in the book, I do go through all of the traditional points of view about choosing a market, which is things like job growth or population growth, landlord-friendly, rent-friendly, all that kind of stuff. We go through all that. But what I start off with is the only metric that really matters when choosing a market, deal flow. If you're not looking at deals, you're not going to close one. Real simple. So we want to start off by choosing a market. And let me say in these days, as the deal flow is somewhat limited, a market is probably not only going to be a city, but probably a territory, maybe a collection of cities, So what I tell people is start off with your house. Imagine your house on a map. And now what we want to do is we want to draw a circle around your house on the map. And you're going to draw that circle bigger and bigger and bigger until inside that circle, you can produce three to five deals every week to analyze. I'm not saying they all got to be great deals. I'm saying just deal flow because you have to have consistent deal flow. If you're not consistently looking at deals, you're not going to close one. It's a numbers game. So when choosing a territory, choose enough territory that you can produce three to five deals every single week with inside that territory. All right. How do we choose a territory? Start with your house and then start drawing those circles. And so the idea is that you're going to stay as close to home as possible but you're going to move out far enough to bring in three to five deals a week. And what that will stop you from doing is hopscotching around the country, as you pointed out. Hey, I heard Texas was a good market. No, no, Atlanta. No, no, you know, Virginia, whatever. You know what I mean? Now you're, you're just ping-ponging all around the country. And you're not going to go any deeper than, say, LoopNet. You know, it's what I call a LoopNet level. You're not going to dig into a market. You're just kind of at that internet level. And that's not doing anybody any good. So uh, you, you've got to really kind of consider travel time. you got to consider your competition. The local buyer is always your number one competitor. You know, if you live in LA and you say you want to buy in Atlanta, fine. But you need to be over here. As much as anybody else, because I'm the local and I can just go over and look at the deal on my lunch break, meet the realtor, make the relationship. you've got to get off an airplane every time, you're at a great disadvantage. So even places like LA and places you know that may be more expensive or less cash flow markets, I still say start close to home and start drawing that circle. If you're in, say LA or New York or something like that, yes, you may have a larger circle than say I do in Atlanta. But nonetheless, that's the formula. You know, start at home. And don't skip around the country and only go out as far as it takes to produce three to five deals a week. If you'll do that and you'll get three to five deals every week uh, on a regular basis. You will probably close several a year. In my experience.
1: I like that. That is actually a metric that I have not heard before, but I, I like how that ties into your, your actions that you're taking right. as an investor to make deals happen.
0: Yep. Everything I teach my students always has some sort of applicable metric. If someone is giving you advice and there isn't some way to take it and apply it to your world and your systems with metrics right now, it is probably nonsense advice. And there's so much just just white noise advice out there in the world. <laughs> oh, you need to pick a market that's landlord friendly and you know in the, in the, and it has population growth. And yeah, 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 fine. Those are all great things. They are. But if you can't get over there and meet a realtor and do a damn property tour, you're wasting your time. It doesn't matter about all these other metrics. That's where I think people are getting caught up in academia and they're stopping. They're they're not stopping and remembering that this is a real business. We actually have to apply this stuff. So we can sit here talk about job growth, rent growth all over the market. Fine. But if you can't go over there on your lunch break and do a property tour, I can. I'll just beat you to the punch. And so that's where you've really got to stop and think about your territory. And that's why I say you're probably better off closer to home at least earlier on learning Now, if you stay close to home and you'll follow that, what I call the deal circle flow. So if you'll you'll draw your circles and get the deal flow inside there, you can cut down the cost of tuition, the cost of learning, the cost of meeting realtors, the cost of traveling to your properties. Once you get the education piece down, you're good at talking to realtors, you're good at analyzing deals, you know what you're doing. Fine. Now let's go traveling to that distant market. But you don't want to be getting off an airplane just to learn how to look at real estate. When there were deals in your own backyard, you could have at least practiced on. Maybe you don't buy them. Maybe you don't build your portfolio in LA. But go meet a realtor, walk down the street, do a property tour. That's going to be the same as in any city. So why not practice close to home? That's my opinion on getting started. I think people think too much. (laughs) Usually, (laughs) they're too smart. They do way too much thinking. Uh, early on in the business, I would say just just get out there and start. Just go for it. Just look at some deals. Don't worry
1: about it. Nice. I love that. I love it. Everything's great so far. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate, that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry, they make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Bill, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Ooh,
0: uh, best investment, I probably, well, I would say there's two of them. One of them, I'll give you the general answer, would be in in mindset. You know, investing in my mindset and that's kind of falls in that category of education, which you kind of discounted. But I I would (laughs) say, yeah, really learning the proper mindset is, is important. And then I would say my second best investment was actually hiring my at the time girlfriend, who is now my wife. Uh, to come work in my business. And all my friends said, no, you're absolutely crazy. You don't hire the girlfriend to come run the business. You certainly don't give her control over the bank account and all the rent. And I said, nope, you're all completely wrong. And I hired my girlfriend. Best decision ever made. She's my wife now. And we've built and run our company together. So I'd say that's probably my, my best financial decision. Hiring, hiring the wife,
1: girlfriend wife. Nice, nice. I like that. Well, we had the best investment or best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin. This one's a little more painful. The worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: Uh, the worst investment I ever made was in my ego, <laughs> believing that um, I was more important than I really was. Um, long story here. Now I, I got arrogant and, and really had a lot of business cards and thought that a stack of business cards means I have a network. And I found out $150,000 loss later that that is not true. So just because you're out meeting people, just because you're out networking, you're gathering business cards, does not mean you're building relationships. And I got arrogant in myself thinking, oh, I'm important. I've met these people. When I have a deal, I'm just going to phone them up and they're all going to show up and just write me a check. Not true. And I actually failed at a raise. I was out. I had put a property under contract, was trying to raise money Had $150,000 up in earnest money. And I actually wound up losing that. Uh, due to my failure to to properly raise and properly syndicate the deal, I wound up losing it. And uh, that was a very bad afternoon, but a um, tremendous amount of learning lessons. And, and what I realized was the mistake was I was being lazy and arrogant, thinking that you know just meeting me was good enough. you know, And that is absolutely not true. You've got to follow up. You've got to build those relationships. You've got to get to know these people. If you think you're going to get a business card and then have somebody show up and write you a million-dollar check, you're probably wrong and if you're not wrong call me i I need your number but you're probably going to be wrong so you know uh yeah don't don't get cocky like that it was it was it was me being arrogant and i really should have followed up and spent a lot more time building those relationships and if i would have I wouldn't have lost that $150,000. So that's probably my worst investment
1: in my wow. ego. <laughs> yeah, that sounds painful. In the spirit of what you had mentioned earlier about having, you know, like metrics or actions around, you know, what we can take. Yeah. How did you remedy that? How did you maybe change your systems or your behaviors to take those business cards and turn them into, you know, real connections and, and manage that behavior? You know? Started using
0: tracking stuff like that, like actually entering in the information and then having some sort of system to follow up. Uh, it could be a newsletter. It could be, you know, a monthly email or something like that. Just some sort of communique where you say, hey, I remember you, you know, still out here looking at deals. Hadn't forgot about you. Hey, if you want to catch up sometime, let's stay in touch. You know, something like that where you're in communication with those people. And, and that was what the problem was Is I met them. And then didn't really talk to them again until I had a deal. And then I call them up and say, hey, I've got a deal. Are you ready to invest? And their comp was, who are you again? Yeah. You know, that's, that wasn't a good answer to, do you want to invest in my deal? You know, who are you? So that that's kind of how I got in that situation. So the remedy to that is now I make sure that I have an investor database that I pay much closer attention to and, and stay in contact with. But, you know, uh, honestly, writing books and, and doing things like this show and, and content and, and social media are all great ways to stay in contact with the world and your database and to even meet new people. So those are all things that I do now
1: <laughs> since then. Yeah. And hey, You learned that lesson. Now there's a bunch of, I, I hope I'm not beating this topic to death here, but there are a lot of different levels there, right? You mentioned uh, like sure. a newsletter, which is, which is, you know, general, but good. Right. And and doing shows like this, yeah. which is general, but good. And then there's the level of, you know, that one-on-one outreach, you're reaching out to somebody saying, Hey, how you doing? Uh, but, but that, doesn't that that last one doesn't really scale well or does it and and how do you incorporate that one-on-one versus the more general stuff all
0: right so what i do personally and this might not be the level that everyone is at and so i just want to kind of clarify with that one so what i do now is i do a lot of social media stuff a lot of things like that i have a website and what i'm trying to do is to create a funnel And so what I want investors to do is to ultimately raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested in more information about doing business with you, all right? We get them in the funnel. What I will do is typically send an accredited investor form. So I send them a form and have them fill that out and says, yes, my net worth is, I make this amount of money. What I'm doing is I'm legally checking the boxes. So we could go way off in this conversation, but the security exchange law for most filings that I do say you have to have a relationship with your investors. They don't really tell you what a relationship is. They just say you have to have one. So I make sure that I go through several different points that if I ever got in trouble or investigated, I could say, no, no, here's where I can prove the relationship. So that's where I start off with, here's where they opted in. That's not good enough, but it's one touch. Okay. They opted in. Here's where I responded or auto-responded with uh, you know, some kind of a credit investor form, they're showing interest. Can okay, they fill that out? Once I get all the way down to that level, then I will usually set up a phone call and actually sit down. And, and it's going to be maybe 15, 20 minutes, just a quick get to know you. This is what we do. Are you interested in that? What are your goals? Are we a fit? Okay, great. I have your info. Now I put that into the CRM uh, and, and then I put notes in there. And so that's kind of what I do technically now. And, and I feel like uh, uh, that will hold up in an investigation if somebody came in and said, gosh, you really know that person? I said, yes, I do. Here's the system of, of touches. And, uh, and so we have a minimum of three touches before we put someone into our, you know, good to go database.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, I appreciate you giving us that deep dive on your system. We'll get back to the three questions. The last one. My favorite one, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Solve problems. (laughs) It pays well.
0: (laughs) Be a problem solver. Yeah. You know that you make money by solving people's problems. That's really about the best way I can articulate that. You know, if you're new to business and you're just trying to get started, one of the best things you can do is just be willing to work, be willing to do the dirty jobs, be willing to do the, the not fun deals to get your credibility and to get started. Don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant. You're going to have to pay your dues. So go out there and look for people that are looking for sweat equity. They're looking for labor. that are looking for someone just to come in and do that dirty job and exchange their real estate for your ability to, to show up and work. And you will definitely get a good start in the business. But that's probably one of the things that I learned is, is you really got to learn how to be a problem solver. So you have to figure out who has problems, and figure out what value do you bring to them and can to the two of you get together and make a trade. And, and if you can, you've got the key to, to, to business right there. Everything anybody ever tells you about business is gonna fall in there some way. You know, if you're not creating a solution
1: to something, you're, you're, you're not going to be very valuable. Very simple. Nice, nice. I like that. Well, Bill, thank you for joining us today and bringing us all these awesome lessons about scaling up in real estate and, and stories and, and lessons from your particular experience, what you teach your students, and and so much around there. If folks want to reach out, they want to get in touch with you, they want to track you down on the internet or, or any of your sure. books or anything like that, where can they help you down?
0: Yeah, easy. Um, real Estate Raw, the book Real Estate Raw, and the book. Creative Cash are both on Amazon. so Easy to find those. Um, I have a website, realestateraw.com. I have some free videos and a lot of content on there. If you you weren't looking to get started, if you're not sure if real estate's right for you, I do a a pretty honest breakdown on whether it's a good place for you to get started or not. So I would say go take that sort of uh, assessment test. Um, And then if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, uh, I'll give you my email. It's bill. Well, easy one. Bill at gobroadwell.com. So B I L L at gobroadwell.com. And that is B R O A D W E L L, gobroadwell.com. So, yeah, if you want to do business with me, or if you just got some questions or comments, feel free, send me an email, and uh, I will be in touch.
1: Awesome. Well, great. Bill, once again, thank you for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe using whatever podcast app you use and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.